of all the ideas in the New Testament that believers today read, one of the ideas and principles that speaks the most to people and should speak the most to us is who God is, who we are, and then what God has to say about us. Because we find some interesting ideas in the New Testament and really throughout all of Scripture, even going back to the old. Human beings were created from dirt. So if anybody ever tells you you're worth a whole lot, just remember you were made from dirt. And yet at the same time, we find God loving this human creature so much so that in the New Testament, He is willing to send His one and only Son to die for all of those other creations. The men and women that were made to be His crowning work who rebelled against Him. We see God sacrificing His only Son so that He could bring many sons and daughters into His kingdom and to His family. So if anybody tells you you're worth nothing, just remember that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for sins. And I think that's really where we need to stay, recognizing that God is a holy God and that we are sinful people. It keeps us humble and also gives us confidence. In Ephesians, the New Testament book, we don't see these ideas played out and explained any more clearly in all of the New Testament. And today, uh, in your Sunday school classes or first groups, we began studying the book of Ephesians. And this New Testament book can really be divided into two sections, and you'll notice them as you study. The first is in chapters 1 through 3, and it's where Paul wrote of our identity in Christ, who we are as sinners saved by His grace. The second division of the book, in chapters 4 through 6, Paul wrote of our walk with Christ. And over the course of the next two months, I plan to preach to you on these overarching thoughts in the book of Ephesians, our identity in Christ and our walk with Christ. And although I will not use the same passages from the book of Ephesians that you'll be studying in Sunday school, I will present many of these same ideas to you from other places in the Bible. But today, as we start out on talking about our identity in Christ, I want to share with you a message about our identity in Christ as a church body, as a collective group of believers from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. In these verses, Paul communicated with the Ephesian believers who they were as a unified people in Christ. And as I share this sermon with you today, I want you, all of you, collectively to know who you are in Christ. And that's the big question. Who are you? Let's read these words and listen to God's answer to this question. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I want you to know who you are, church, in Christ. And Paul presents two identifications in verses 19 through 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. The first ID is in verse 19. You are citizens of God's household. Know that. Know that you are citizens of God's household. In this verse, Paul used two words that are opposite of the word citizen. And understanding these antonyms helps us better grasp the meaning of his analogy of Christians as citizens in God's household. The first antonym is the word strangers. You'll see that there in verse 19. Strangers. In Greek city-states under Roman control and in these Roman provinces, a stranger was one who was allowed to be in a country or in a city-state, but with no rights except that which had been agreed to by a treaty. There was limited privilege. A good modern equivalent of this idea is a person traveling to a foreign country with a temporary travel visa. You're allowed in and allowed to move and do a few things, but you can't vote, you can't buy a home and live there. There's certain things that only you can do. The second antonym that Paul used is the word alien. And this doesn't refer to a green creature with antennas popping out of the top of his head. Rather, what it means is a foreign resident. Somebody who lived in a place without national rights. Or another way to put it would be a sojourner dwelling in a land that was not their own. A contemporary equivalent of this term would be a person living in a foreign country with a residence visa. They don't just have the opportunity to stay for a time, but their invitation is open-ended. However, they're still not a citizen. So in Paul's illustration, we're not just tourists of the Christian kingdom, nor are we legal immigrants in a kingdom that is not our own. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. The idea of being fellow citizens with the saints is one of being granted citizenship amongst a new people and put into a new nation. Now this analogy that Paul used would have spoken powerfully to Gentile Christians, that is non-Jewish followers of Jesus, because they were given the same position, title, rights, privileges, and responsibilities as every other one of the redeemed children of God throughout the ages, including, but not limited to, Adam, the father of the human race, Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, David, the king of the nation of Israel, and all of those who chose to worship and follow the one true God. 
But Paul's illustration does not stop at this point. He moves to an even deeper and closer connection that believers have to one another and to their Father in heaven. The Ephesian believers were not just new citizens in God's kingdom. They were also new family members in God's household. You'll notice that at the end of verse 19, you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are of God's household. In fact, some English translations insert the word you are members of God's household in order to make the point more clear. Perhaps this is as good of a picture as any. Imagine with me, if you would, an older child who has just come across the southern border into the United States with absolutely nothing. I mean, nothing at all. No family, no money, no education, no place to stay, no plans for the future. They have nothing. Now imagine that one individual being graciously granted full legal citizenship because they simply believed the values and principles of the land. And then upon being given their certification for legal status as a new citizen, they were immediately adopted into an American home. They walked in the front door and they were invited to sit down at the dinner table with their new father, mother, brothers, and sisters. This is the picture, the type of picture, that Paul wanted these Ephesians to have in mind when they considered who they were as a people in Christ. They were now part of God's kingdom and part of God's household. And this makes a big difference for us, too, if we stop and think about what God says of us as believers. Who are you? Some of you are here today and you need to be reassured of your position in Christ's kingdom and his household. Your inclusion into God's family means that he loves you just like he loves his own son. Your past has been forgiven and he has a good plan and purpose for your future. It's not that you're less a part of the kingdom than somebody else because you've done worse things than they have. If you've truly come to faith in Christ and you belong to him completely, fully, and totally, and the rights and responsibilities that you have in Jesus are the same for you as they are for everybody else. The pastor in the pulpit, the deacon serving the church, the Sunday school teacher in the classroom, the child who's grown up in this church was baptized at six years old and has gone all the way through the youth program. Whenever you came to Christ, you came to him. And when you gave your heart and your life fully to him, he granted you full citizenship in his kingdom. You're no less apart and no less valuable than anybody else. So if you truly come to faith in Christ, then it's time to stop living like you don't know God and that God doesn't know you. Know that you are citizens of God's household. And there are others of you here, like the Jewish Christians in Ephesus. And you know that you are a citizen of God's household all too well. Or perhaps a better way to put it is that you don't know you're a citizen of God's household by His grace like you should. You need to be reminded who you are in Christ, 
Because you're simply a sinner that was saved by His grace. Because you fail to see yourself as a member of the household of faith only by God's grace. You're not here by your good works or your family's name or by the amount of money you put into the offering plate. You may scowl at others who struggle with sin you haven't experienced. You may demean others in our church community who haven't been around as long as you. And you might even elevate yourself in some way as a superior member of Christ's body. Folks, if that's you, let me remind you of these truths. There's only one head of the church, and his name is Jesus. So you might as well get used to the fact that you're living under his authority and receiving your life from him just like everybody else who's chosen to follow him. The church is God's house, not yours. And it's time to stop acting like you own and run the place. Know that you are a citizen of God's household. Don't think too lowly of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. Know that you are a citizen of God's household. You are part of His kingdom and part of this family only by His grace. But by His grace, you are a complete and real part of this church. And this is the first idea that Paul presents. Know that you are a citizen in God's household. And then the second idea that Paul gave to the Ephesian believers is found in verses 20 through 22. You are living stones in God's temple. That is your identification in Christ. Know that you are living stones in God's temple. After Paul reminded the Ephesian believers that they were citizens in God's household, he taught them what it meant to be living stones in the temple of God. In the Old Testament, the Israelites understood that God's presence dwelled in the physical structure called the temple at Jerusalem. There in the temple was a room called the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. And inside that room was placed the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence rested. Maybe images from Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark are popping to your mind right now. But it was there at the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence manifested itself in the physical temple during Solomon's time. But that manifestation of God's presence is a foreshadowing of the revelation of God's presence over and in and through His church. This is the spiritual temple that exists during our time. And here's the blueprint of this spiritual structure. Paul lays it out in verses 20 through 22. The apostles and prophets that God sent to proclaim Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, they are the foundation, Paul says in verse 20. Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone set on the foundation to uphold the wall above. It's in him that this whole structure is able to exist and stand firm. And we as believers are the living stones fitted together through faith in Jesus and fellowship with one another. The ultimate glory of this temple will be realized on the day that Christ returns and God's Spirit indwells His people without sin getting in the way. As it is now, Paul teaches in verse 22, 
God is still building his church as he forms and fashions each one of us and as he stacks more blocks on top of each other. Here's a good way to think about it. And perhaps you, you've heard this expression before. This building is not the church. You know what I'm talking about. This red brick building structure that we've got with the First Baptist Church a sign stamped out there on the bell tower and the doors that open and the pews that you're sitting in and this stage that I'm standing on, the pulpit that I'm preaching behind. This building, the physical structure, is not the church. But the church is God's building. And here's what I mean by that. You, as individual people, are living stones that God has placed together, interconnected with each other through faith in Jesus. And as God continues to build His characteristics and His holiness into your life, He builds up this body called the church, a spiritual family, a group of believers who unite together in a building, a physical structure, a place where they can worship Him. But they, the people, are the building that God is most concerned about. A building is not the church, but the church is God's building. When I came home for lunch on Wednesday this week, Branch, our little four-year-old, wanted me to play with him. He said, Dad, you build me a marble track. I said, okay. And so the, the project ensued. Now, I know that most of you haven't had the privilege of building a marble track for Branch, so just let me give you a rundown of how this works. This marble track is built out of Lego Duplo box. They're the bigger ones, if you know what Legos are like. The little ones are the ones you step on in the middle of the night and they hurt. The bigger ones you can find easier, right? And so this marble track is made out of those Lego Duplo blocks and some off-brand version of Duplo blocks that fit together with the other ones. And, uh, and they have grooves cut into the plastic where the marble can roll. In order to build a good marble track, you have to lay down the two green pieces as a foundation. They're the bigger ones in, the, in that box that we've got. To be comparable to the apostles and the prophets. It, then you have to get the big long block out to tie the foundation pieces together so that you can start building. It, it's kind of like the, the corner block piece that you would build all of your uh, structure above upon. Comparable to Christ. And then you have to begin connecting the Lego Duplo and the off-brand blocks together. Christians, living stones, people coming from different backgrounds. We don't really fight as Jews or Gentiles today, but there's some times that things get a little iffy, right? You've got churched people, people who grew up in a church environment, and unchurched people, people who didn't grow up in a church environment. You've got people who come from this type of background and people who come from that type of background. You've got people who are from Walnut Ridge and Lawrence County and people who aren't from Walnut Ridge and Lawrence County, right? And all of these different stones come together to form one building. 
when I'm building this track for Branch, he doesn't care if it's a Lego Duplo block or something from that off-brand. It's meant to fit together and to tie in as one. And this is the hard part in building the marble track because you have to tinker and toy. You have to move around and adjust each of these blocks until you get them all lined up and connected to each other so that the structure stays solid and so the marble will roll smoothly. But the marble track is not, is not complete when all of the pieces are stacked together. It's complete when we place a marble on top of the track and you let it roll all the way down through the bottom until it stops. And I cannot tell you what happens when we complete the marble track. We've used the blocks, we've let the marble go, and it connects together. Branch looks up with wonder in his eyes and holds that marble up, and he's as happy as he can be. And he keeps putting that marble down the track, and he runs several marbles down the track, and he plays and he plays for hours upon end. God's plan for the church is that we are built up on our most holy faith. He has a blueprint, he has the design, he has the pieces. As a group of Christians, we are living stones in his temple. Peter, another of Christ's apostles, stated it this way in his New Testament letter. Listen to these verses from 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 10. And coming to him as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you, you church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We all need to realize our place and our position in Christ. As a church, we are living stones in His temple. We might not all be shaped alike, placed alike, display the same color tones, have the same density, function in the same way, but we are all built up into one temple, God's temple. God builds His church with living stones. If a stone is not available for building, he doesn't build his church. You need to be here and be involved. God builds his church with living stones. 
If a stone does not fit at a certain point in the wall, he needs to refine it and reform it so that it does. Or he must remove it and place another one there that fits. You need to be willing to let God do with you and with others whatever he wants and whatever he sees fit. God builds his church with living stones. He stacks the faith of people on top of each other because God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. You need to fellowship with other Christians around you and pass on your faith to those who are coming after you. Know that you are living stones in God's temple. Church, when I ask you to think about who you are in Christ, what comes to mind? Are you just a group of people who form a social club for gatherings? Are you a perpetual organization that keeps itself going for the sake of tradition? Or do you know the truth that you are really much more than all of that? You are people who once lived in your own world, but now God has shown you the futility of building your own private empire, and you are now part of God's eternal kingdom. You were once estranged from God, your creator, and at odds with other human beings. But now you have been born again into God's family. He is your perfect, loving, and holy Father who will never fail. And you are brothers and sisters in Christ who are there to uphold each other, care for each other, support one another, pray for one another, and serve one another. You were once a hardened, unshaped piece of rock without plan or purpose. But now you are a living stone, shaped and molded by God's hand for His design to build for Himself a temple where He will dwell for eternity. You are citizens of God's household. You are living stones in God's temple. You are His church. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? In just a moment, you're going to hear a song of invitation played. And I'm going to ask you, when you hear this song played, to respond to God as He's speaking to your heart this morning. It's God's invitation to you to come to Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you just needed to be reminded that you are a citizen in God's household. That you're part of his kingdom and part of his family. Maybe you needed to be reminded that you are a living stone in his temple, the church. Or maybe you're here this morning and you didn't need to be reminded of those things. You needed to realize those things for the first time. Maybe as a church member, you've not understood your position in Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never realized who you can be in Christ. 
Maybe when you get real honest with yourself, you say, Jake, I know God loves me, but I don't know if I've ever received his love into my life. I don't know if I've ever chosen to publicly profess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. I want to share with you some good news this morning. You can do that right here and right now. God loves each and every one of you and each and every person in this world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in His Son would not perish but would have everlasting life. Maybe you need to become a part of God's family this morning. Ask Him to save you from your sins. Give your life to Jesus so that He can give you a new life in this family. Maybe you're here this morning and you're part of God's kingdom, but you've never been part of a local church. And you want to become a part of this family. I'd love to share with you how you can join us here and be on mission in what God is doing. I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to speak with me. The steps of this stage are open if you just need to come and kneel in prayer and talk to God in private. As God calls you this morning, would you come to Him?